All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. We'll, we'll buy, if some guys show up here late, just, just find them a spot. And uh, I think we have some seats there in the back. If y'all can show them, we definitely have some over here that we'll lead them to, too. Welcome to, uh, this is a Chapter 3. Steve Farrar, the book is Finishing Strong as we continue to move through this. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and then let's just jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together, for those that are here in the room with us, and for those that are listening around the country and and around the world, even some of the men who are here with us sometimes that can't be here with us today. I pray, Lord, that we take uh, what you provided today uh, through Steve Farrar and through your scriptures, and we apply it to our lives today as we continue to work out an intentional plan that we will finish our life in you well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so some of you that may have, uh, if you missed the first couple of chapters, you can certainly go back and pick those up uh, as we hit those, or you can go to the podcast channel. Uh, if you know how to operate that, it's not that complicated. Uh, or if you want me to send it to you, I certainly can. Uh, the past stuff's also available on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Uh, you can also get it at BurgessMinistries.com uh, under media. All that will help, and if you're on the social platforms as well. So we, we open up, and, and a lot of you, how many of you have seen the movie that uh, we were talking about, City Slickers, when, when Farrar is talking about this movie? And, and of course, you remember the Jack Palance uh, uh scene that he's talking about that, you know, everybody's got to figure out that one thing. And of course, Billy Crystal makes the funny line when he says this, he says, what, what my finger? And he said, no, the one thing. And so he said, we have to look at the example of those that have gone before us. And the one thing we got to be focused on it, it, to be intentional, that we are going to make the one thing in our life is that we will finish well, that we will finish strong. We will not betray the faith and we'll get into the other things in our lives if not betraying the faith and not betraying Jesus, that also means you know these other things won't be betrayed as well. We just got to focus on that. Paul tells us we'll start out with Philippians 3, uh, 12 um, uh, through 14. And if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, this was what Paul said was his first thing. I mean, his one thing. Not that I have already obtained this. That's, in, that's important. That we never get to the point where we knock it out of gear and say, well, I guess I've arrived. I have arrived spiritually and I'm where I need to be, and I'm just going to kind of coast on home. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the power to do this is only in Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and this is important, guys. A lot of you, we've, we've had conversations after conversations. I've dealt with it myself, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. If I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that's our thing. We, we, that, that's our one thing. We haven't arrived. I'm not saying I've obtained it. And, and anything that I have obtained is in Jesus. I was talking with one of our brothers last week, and, and it hit me, and we talked about this in the last chapter, but a really a nutshell thing that has helped me and. And even my wife, when I told her, she said, hey, I, you, I need to write that down for you before you forget it. And because and, and, she, she knows me too well. And, and the Lord pressed upon me. We said what last week? that Who's our biggest enemy? Ourselves. And so we know we're the enemies. That's the problem. And so we know we are the problem, but we, we, got, we have to learn, and so many people don't get this. I am the problem, but I am not the solution. And that's where you see people just spiraling out of control. Is they, even when they realize they've got a problem, they keep thinking they're the solution. The solution is Jesus. You know, and, and that doesn't mean, like we say, that, that we immediately become perfect. I was, uh, I'm coaching a team right now, and I, and, and I thought to myself, this really fits in what we're talking about through, through, through this book and through our lives. 
And I remember saying to the team yesterday, I said, look, I'm not asking you to be perfect. We're going to continue to make mistakes, but what I am asking you is we're not going to keep making the same mistakes. Learn. You know, when you've made a mistake, learn from that. You know, get at the foot of the cross, come under the authority of Jesus, and say, Jesus, by the power you provide me through my sanctification and the Holy Spirit that entered, entered into my spirit, I've learned from this mistake, and I know that I may stumble or make another mistake, not a lifestyle, but I tell you what I'm not going to do is keep making the same mistakes. Because, you know, to say that Jesus can overcome what's in our life, as we've said a thousand times, it doesn't say much about Jesus. So, so most of the things that we're still struggling with, these are the things that we still have not quite decided that we love Jesus more than we love those things. So anyway, so Paul said, this is going to be my one thing. It's going to be my statement for getting the past and straining toward the finish line with all of our strength. And then, of course, it, Farrar goes into this. And I even asked because I'm going to tell you, Farrar uses throughout this book a phrase that my mama wouldn't let me say. But he says it, so if he says it, I think it's all right. I just, I just won't tell my mom what he says. She never really liked the term when saying I screwed up. But Farrar loves it uh, because he's talking about this, and, and he makes a good point, or don't mess up. I'd be the way you say it to your mama. And, um, and what he's saying, that you know, he, he talked about these personal you know, mission statements, and he goes through people that have, have given you know, different ones that are much, you know, they're a long time. And he said, really, when he thought about his personal mission statement, it didn't take him very long at all. He said, I kind of came up with my mission statement. It, it's really quick, but, but it provides everything you need to know. My mission statement is simple. I'm not going to screw up. And, and so then what do you have to do? You have to make intentional decisions, and you have to live your life saying, I'm not going to put myself in situations, and we'll get into some of those today, that's going to cause me to mess up. I remember Steve Farrar said something before that's not in this particular book, but it also helps with his mission statement because sometimes we get overwhelmed about obedience and we get overwhelmed about the men and, and the women who are listening that we are to become in Jesus when really just focus on Jesus and the more devoted you are to him, the more it's going to begin to change you. And he said, and if you want to take it and even simplify it more, is just do the next right thing. You don't get, don't get overwhelmed about what you're going to be doing three weeks from now. Think about what you're doing after this and say, the next thing that comes up on my plate today, I'm not going to mess up. I'm going to do the next right thing. And if, when you string together under the authority of Jesus Christ enough of those little right things, before you know it, you're living a life that doesn't, is not riddled with us constantly messing up. But just take it one step at a time. Do the next right thing. He says, I took it further. He said, I, I don't want to screw up my marriage. I don't want to screw up my relationship with my kids, and I don't want to screw up my integrity. My integrity. I will tell you, as a, as a man who stands in, in front of you right now, one of the hardest things that, uh, that I, have, uh, I have gone through in my life is trying to live a life on the other side of my redemption that can somehow reestablish my integrity. Because the life that I lived outside of Christ had no integrity whatsoever, and trying to work and work. And, and, and see, the world doesn't help you a lot with that, which is why sometimes when he says, I leave things behind, sometimes you got to leave people behind. Because those people that do not celebrate your redemption because they liked how horrible you were and how much better it made them look, you got to leave those people behind. Now, people who want to get on the journey with you, now you need them. 
who encourage you, hold you accountable. Sure, we'll talk about that again today. But, but, but not those people who refuse to acknowledge what Christ has done. Now, certainly we have to show that. But I've got people, I've been following Jesus now and, and through the sanctification process and, you know, for 23 years as of Sunday, my anniversary. Uh, the two big events in my life that God has used to change me the, mo- the most is my marriage to Sherry and the death of my youngest son. There certainly have been other things, but those two items have had the most impact to radically change who I am because those are the two places where God found me and said, submit to me and I'll change you. And then as we moved a little further, now, now, now submit to me in this, in your weakness, and let me make you stronger. Those two events um, uh, are the things that have, have impacted me the most, but I have people that still, still will not acknowledge who Jesus has made me. They want to hang on to, to the Rick that I buried. They don't want, want old Rick to die. And I have to live my life eventually saying, I'm sorry, he's dead. You know, I, I've got to concentrate how, how Jesus sees me, whether you want to come along uh, with that or not. And if those people won't come around and all they're going to do is act as Satan's accuser in your life, you've got to get rid of them. Now, I'm not talking about accountability. I'm talking about people who keep, keep, keep trying to hold on to the old you. You've got to let that go. And uh, so those people are, have been removed from my life, and I've replaced them with people who hold me accountable, but they are on the journey with me not trying to hold my legs and forbid me to go on the journey at all. And, and so guys uh, who, who, who usually mess up, we've talked about this a lot, so I, I want you to understand this. We have to get in our mindset, because I think you see this, and sadly sometimes you see this a lot in the Western church. Uh, make a note, if you will. I, I, I will highly recommend, if you get a chance, now you've got to devote two hours and 19 minutes to it, which is a big commitment, and I didn't make it. Uh, but I've seen most of it. I, I fell asleep before it was all over, and I'll go back and pick it up. There's a documentary out r- right now called American Gospel. American Gospel. And I think it really addresses the state of the Western church really well and how and what is the gospel and how in many cases we have stopped preaching the gospel. Uh, we have versions of the gospel that, that they're not quite pure, and, and it goes back to this. And one of the things that, that we, I think we need to understand is we've got to stop this mentality that failing is a given. Nobody ever has really changed. You know, all you do is just fall all over yourself and you just fail over and over again. And that is not the truth. Again, that doesn't say much about Jesus. And what Farrar says, which the Bible agrees with, most of the time people who mess up are, are men or women, and he talks about men, who willfully or purposefully remove themselves from the protection of Jesus Christ. They've decided that they will allow themselves either do it on their own or allow other people or some other forces in the fallen creation to coax them, Satan, the demons, spiritual world, coax us out from the authority of Jesus Christ. And once we decide to leave the authority of Jesus Christ, we're capable of all sorts of things. And most people that mess up, they do that because they've left the power that Jesus Christ provides to give us power over our flesh, power over the adversary, and sin. Uh, Peter talks about this in 2 Peter. If you have something with your Bible on it, you're making notes, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. And, and, here, and here's, what, here's what Peter has to say about the power that has been given us. His divine power has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that uh, pertain to life and godliness, meaning those who truly know Jesus, those who pursue Jesus and truly know Jesus have now been given access to the power of him to give us the ability to actually live a life that is godly. goes back to this again. The only thing good about a Christian is Jesus. But, but when you see people that are behaving in a way, not stumbles, not mistakes, that, that live in open sin, we have to come to the conclusion that either Jesus Christ isn't as powerful as he says he is, or these people have left his authority. Because it certainly can't be. There's no other option on the table, according to Scripture. And, and I think sometimes, because I think a lot of it has to be, it is, is that we're not big fans in general, I know there's exceptions. Praise the Lord for the exceptions. And I hope to be the exception as I continue to, to, to de- devour what Jesus Christ has afforded me is that you don't really have a lot of people, even within the church, sadly, that want to talk about holiness. You know, they're like, eh, let's don't go too far with it, which means let's keep one foot kind of in the world a little bit. I mean, we don't, and you know what they think? They, they really think, and I, and I can remember this, I remember thinking to be completely devoted to Christ is to give up something that really matters. Something that maybe life just won't be as much fun anymore. Now that's a lie. You know, and, and so what, what happens to, you know, from the screw tape letters with C.S. Lewis, I thought he did a beautiful job with this, is the adversary or our sinful flesh will let us acknowledge that we need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. It'll even let us acknowledge that everything about Jesus is true. It'll even let us acknowledge that God is merciful and he's not going to to judge us. He will forgive us. And we certainly need to at some point get our lives completely on his authority before we die or he comes back. But not today. But not today. Today, go ahead and go see that woman. Today, go ahead and go, go drink that alcohol. Today, go ahead and watch that movie. Today, go ahead and say this to your wife. Today, let your work come before your children. And you need to get all that right, but not today. And before you know it, those not todays start building up quicker than those just do the next right thing. And before you know it, you've built a stack of blocks but there's more not todays than there is devotion to Christ. And I know, without knowing any of you personally, I know a lot, some of you personally, and I know me, every single person just heard that has either experienced that or you're still doing it. There's nobody here that goes, I really know what he's talking about. I, I've never experienced that. You know, because I know that, that that's the state down here. That's the fallen state of mankind. That's the stalling fate of the world, but it's a lie. And what we've got to decide is that our life is not just going to be better in eternity. And I'm certainly not talking about the word of faith gospel that, that sounds good. It's just not in the Bible. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm not talking about your best life now. I'm talking about that this life, it can be, be think about, you know, like we talked about last week. We always talk about all the sacrifices and all the, the persecution and the hardships of being under the authority of Christ, and they're certainly real, but we can't ignore the hardships of being out from under the, the authority of Christ. Anybody ever experienced those? And, and that's a better life? You know, I, I look around at that life, and it, it, it ain't nothing but a mess. I kind of like this life that even, though, even if I hadn't had a great day, when my, my head hits the pillow that night, I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I've been redeemed, and I'm not going to spend eternity in hell. I kind of like that life. It's not perfect, but it's better. Yeah, and I'm not talking about your best life now. You know, John MacArthur dropped the hammer on that ridiculous book when he said the only people who are living their best life now are people that are going to hell. <laughs> let's, get, let's give John a pat on the back on that one. You know, if this is the best it's going to be, the only people that's true about are people going to hell. And uh, so anyway, so, so, then, so then Farrar goes on. And he talks about this Haitian pastor. I, I love this. I love this. That, that what he talked about this. Uh, this parable. Did you? Did if you hadn't read that, I'll read it to you. So he's talking about that. Peter says about all the divine power that's been afforded us, and that means completely under the authority of Christ. And this Haitian pastor talks about now. If it's not completely, it don't take much if you leave room for the adversary or room for your flesh. And and the and the story goes that this man wanted to sell his house. For $2,000, and another man wanted to buy it very badly, but he was a poor man and didn't have the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house to the man for $1,000, but the reduced price came with the stipulation. The owner would sell the house, but he would keep ownership of a large nail that was protruding from over the front door. And that, that's the things you leave in your life. Several years later, the original owner decided he wanted to buy back the house. Understandably, the new owner was unwilling to sell it. As a result, the original owner went out, found the carcass of a dead dog in the street, and hung it from the nail in which he owned. Soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell to the owner of the nail. And he says, in that, if you, if you, if you leave the devil even one small peg in your life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it and destroy the rest of your life. You, you, there can't, and, and look, guys, I know I've been there. I, I have been there where, where, where you start thinking to yourself, I, I want to give Jesus everything but not this. Now, th this I'm still holding for me. I'm I, I just not quite sure I want to give my career to him. I, I'm, I'm afraid of, if I just put my yes on the table on anything, there ain't no telling what he'll do. So I, I don't I like the way I'm living my life in this certain area, and I'm not going to give it up. Of course, it's an idol at that point. We've talked about that many times. Anything that we love more, anything we fear more, anything we serve more, anything we cherish more, then Jesus is an idol. And 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 you know, and he didn't he, he didn't have gods before him. So then Farrar goes on to talk about, and and I agree with him when he found this this book called The Godly Man's Picture from 1666 by Thomas Watson. And I was laughing at Steve Farrar because my wife loves, loves books with tiny writing. I mean, and I struggle. And some, now don't get me, don't get me wrong, there's some deep, wonderful men and women of God who wrote incredible things, much deeper and much more sound theology than some of the garbage we crank out now on the bestseller list. But man, some of that stuff's hard to read. 
I mean, it's a tiny little writing. And so Farrar grinded it out in this book from 1666. And this man was talking about if you want to be a godly man, uh, he said there were 24 stabilizing nails you could hammer into the character of your life. And he goes through all of them, and there are, there's 24 of them. And so Farrar says, I can't remember 24 characteristics, n- nor can I. Uh, and he said, so I decided that I, I was going to figure out what Thomas Watson's one thing was. And his conclusion is that these characteristics are a Christian's box of evidences of this kind of man. And I love when Watson says this, if you find these 24 characteristics, and I'll read them to you if you want me to, but we'll get into how he breaks them down. I love this, and, and so did Farrar. I love this line. Man, this is awesome. It's giving me chills, Stephen, looking at it again. Watson in 1666 says, a man who has these 24 characteristics is as sure to go to heaven as if he were in heaven already. He's living a life that is so holy, it's as if he was already in heaven. Now think about that. You know, you can push out all the garbage down here, by you'll just keep on pushing out with Jesus in devotion. He said, this is another way of saying this guy, if you're worried, remember we talked about the 1 in 10 or the 2 in 12? He said, if you're this kind of guy, or if you're listening, you're this kind of woman, then you're the kind of person that is going to finish well. You know it. If, if these are the things that are the fruit of your life. Here's some of them that he mentions. Uh, he's a man of knowledge. I mean, he knows a lot about uh, the Bible and the faith. He's a man moved by faith, a man fired by love. That's that, Everything his intentions is love. He's a man like God, a man careful about the worship of God, a man who serves God, not men, a man who prizes Christ, a man who weeps, a man who loves the Word of God, a man who has the Spirit of God residing in him, a man of humility. That's one thing that I've really, really, God has humbled me and humbled me, and the process is continuing, and my wife has said to me, and she is so right, thank you, Lord, for my wife of 23 years as of Sunday. She said, Rick, I must tell you in life, if you run into people who lack humility, don't trust them. I don't care what kind of ministry they have. I don't care how many accolades they have. If they lack humility, stay away from them. They're going to burn you. Humility must be part of it. A man of prayer, a man of sincerity. Gosh, Lord, please, we've lost sincerity. You know, people lack sincerity. There's so many things people say and do now that are not sincere in the least. They just think it sounds good, but they're not sincere about it. Hey, I'll pray for you. Hey, man, I'll be thinking about you. It all sounds good, but where's the sincerity? A heavenly man, a zealous man, a patient man. <laughs> a little Working on that one, too. A thankful man. You know, have you, when's the last time when you started your day or you ended your day in prayer that you didn't ask for anything? You just told God you were thankful. I remember so vividly, those of you that go to church with me, I remember when we had Gary Habermas with us, the apologetic who, out, who defends the resurrection. And I remember him saying, I want to challenge you for 60 seconds, just 60 seconds tomorrow. Just do nothing but be thankful for 60 seconds. He said, you know what's so sad? He said, is that 99% of the room just agreed that that's the right thing to do, but only about 20% of the room will actually do it. Just be thankful. Just say, today, Lord, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the grace and the mercy you know, you had every right to send me to hell for the rest of my life, and you forgave me. Just like we had the woman who called today. I don't know if y'all heard it. The woman who called today, and she was lamenting 
that she at 15 had actually done a late-term abortion. All the stuff we're talking about in our country right now. Can't believe we're having this conversation. Can't believe it. And, um, you know, this, this, and, and, and she said, and she was talking about this, and I was talking to her, and I said, and she said, these women don't understand what a horrific situation they put you in. And she said, it haunts me for the rest of my life. And this is when I was 15. It was years and years ago. And I said, well, you know that you've been redeemed. She said, well, this happened before I was saved. I said, I can relate. And I said, I want you to understand, as horrible as this is, don't let the evil one continue to destroy your life for the rest of your life. Forget what's behind. Because there's going to be a day, if you're under the authority of Jesus Christ, that you and me and all of us will stand in front of our Holy Father. And, and, when, all, and when an accusation comes up like what you're dealing with in your past, if you truly have repented and you're under the authority of Christ, he will step in in front of the Holy Father and say, she's with me. She's with me. And if we can't be thankful about that in the worst of days, on the worst of days, we have a lot to be thankful for. And that's one of the characteristics. He said, also, it's a man who loves the saints. Do you? Do you love your, your brothers and sisters of the church? Do you love our brothers and sisters that, that, that sacrifice so much for us? A man who did not, does not indulge himself in any sin. A man who is good in his relationships. Are you a good friend? Are you a good friend? Are, 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 you, are you a friend that always takes versus gives? Are you good in those relationships? A man who does spiritual things in a spiritual manner. I love that second part. A lot of people do spiritual things. They just don't do them in a spiritual manner. He says, a man thoroughly trained in religion, that he knows what we believe, why we believe it. He can defend it. He's aware of it even against other religions. A man who walks with God and a man who strives to be an instrument for making others godly. Is there anybody that you're discipling? Anybody you're mentoring? You know, some of you may say, I'm not ready for that yet. Okay, and, and if that's true, then fine. You don't need to be mentoring anybody if you're not a mature follower of Christ now. But some of y'all are. And are you passing that along? Or are you just keeping it for yourself? We, we should be, you know, replicating what God has done in us and others, making disciples. So that's a lot of characteristics. And now we're screaming what Farrar's screaming. And he says, I can't, I can't remember all those. He said, but there's another way of saying this guy with these kind of characteristics just isn't going to finish. He's going to finish strong, and that's why this, and that's why this guy's going to finish strong because, and I love this, the old hymn puts it, he stayed upon Jehovah. Boy, I love that line. He said, you really could sum these 24 characteristics up saying this is a guy that stays upon Jehovah. He, does, he, he doesn't have a moment that he puts uh, his relationship with Jehovah on hold and steps away from it. He says, stayed upon, behind, upon Jehovah has some meat in it. And then he talks about the fact that he can't remember the 24 traits. So he says, I can remember four. And he thinks we can too. So he said, I've come up with four that will help us to finish strong. Guys who finish strong are stayed upon Jehovah. And the guy who is stayed upon Jehovah constantly does four things. Does four things. And he, he's listed those for us. And there they, here they are. He says, they stay in, and we'll talk about what that means. We even have a Rick and Bubba phrase, stay in it. And that was all about staying in the Word of God, staying close to, 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 to Jesus. They stay close, they stay away, and they stay alert. 
So he begins to unpack those, and we'll, we'll unpack those first. And he said, first of all, we'll, we'll do the first one, and that is what we stay in the stri- Scriptures. So a guy who stays in, what does he stay in? He stays in the Scriptures. And, and he begins to talk to us uh, about some of the things that we can do to stay in Scripture. He says, you'll see the word to meditate throughout Scripture, about meditating on Scripture. And he says, now, I know a lot of you, when we, when we go to First Joshua, write this down. I mean, Joshua chapter 1, I mean. Joshua 1, 8, 9. Listen to what Joshua 1, 8, 9 says. And a lot of you know this verse. And, of course, Farrar doesn't take long to tell us not to make an excuse about our lives versus Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he says, I tell you what I don't want to hear is anybody saying, well, I don't, I'm a lot busier than Joshua was. He said, I, I don't know that you've seen Joshua's life. He said he, he, had, to, he had to manage like two million people. So uh, it's, it's doubtful that any of us are busier than, I went, Rick, I'm just so busy. You don't know how busy I am. I bet I do. I bet I have some idea about how busy you are. And what he said is he used the old, now this dates this book a little bit, and it dates some of us. Many of you don't know who Walt Garrison is or was. But he was a player for the Dallas Cowboys, and before everybody began to know the terrible, terrible side effects of dipping tobacco, he was the skull Copenhagen guy, and it was it put a put a pinch between your cheek and gum. You remember that? You remember that campaign? And so what he said, we need to take this campaign and, and apply it to something good, like it was applied bad to tobacco, Scripture. We need to keep, and one of the brothers has already told me, this has already worked for you, hasn't it? We keep Scripture you know, not between our cheek and gum, but we keep it with it. We chew on it. We keep it. We always have it. Now, how do we do that? And, you know, I'm a guy that I can, I can, I can go with a game plan and I can fulfill the game plan, but I got to know what it is. You know, I'm not very good. What, what do you want me to do? Like my wife knows if she wants me to be efficient on things she needs done, she makes me a list and she looks at me and I'm already getting excited. You know, I just can't wait. Here's your list. Work through this and get all this done. I'm gone. You know, then I just bam, 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 and I knock it out. So he said what you could do, and I've done this too because a lot of us may struggle with, with spending a lot of time in Scripture or you are having a hard time managing your time. He said, Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. So first of all, let's think about this. What is the psalmist saying? Why are we doing this? So we don't sin. Why is it important? Are you, the kind, are you that person? I'm this kind of person. And this may be a flaw in me, but I'm going to try to make it a positive. And that is, I don't like to do anything until somebody shows me there's value in it. I, I can't stand like to have meetings just to meet. Man, we keep talking. What are we going to do? Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What's the value in this? Why would I? I said this. I was interviewed this past week in a magazine. I said, I'm going to bore you. I said, I'm not that interested in very many things. You know, the first question was, tell me something about yourself. I said, I'm pretty boring. I, I don't really go. To, I'm not a kick guy. I don't chase after the latest thing. I'm not interested in very many things at all. And if you can't convince me there's value in it, I'm not interested in it in the least. I mean, think about it. I do for a living what most people would call a hobby. I don't need a hobby, you know. And, uh, and I like a few things. I like to be outdoors, and I like to do a little hunting and fishing every now and then, but I don't even obsess over that. I can't remember the last time I bought a new shotgun or rifle or a new fishing rod or a lure. I enjoy it, but I don't obsess over it. 
And, uh, and so I'm not that interested, but let me tell you what I've noticed. If you don't think there's value in Scripture, so I don't sin against you, that's the power, guys. That, that's the power. So he says, here's some things to do. And this works. I will tell you this works. Find a book of the Bible, and I'll... And I, th- I'll y'all don't, please don't tell you what I'm about to say the wrong way, because if you feel called to do this, please do it. And I have done it, okay? I, just the way I work, you may work differently. Sounds like Farrar and I work kind of similar. I really struggle on this where somebody says, read the Bible in a year. Nothing wrong with that, and I've done it, and it's good for you. But I just don't retain a lot of it. When I'm methodically going through word after word from Genesis all the way to Revelation, for me, and this is probably my lack of, of, of ability to do something, it turns into an assignment more than pursuit of holiness. I got to complete my assignment today to be where I'm supposed to be to finish the Bible in a year. It, it's not. It's not. I don't do that every year because it doesn't work that well for me. But what he's talking about actually works. Now we do need to read the whole Bible. I'm just talking about the way to do it because the entire Bible is about Jesus. And if you don't read the entire Bible, you don't really fully understand the whole picture. But to learn Scripture to put between my cheek and gum, or to put in my heart and be ready to go, so I can spit it out, spit toward the the adversary when I need to is he says, find a book of the Bible. I would tell you a lot of it, Philippians would be a great one to start with. It's the book of joy. And read through it, not once, not twice, three times, four times. And then as you're reading through it, find verses that seem to kind of come off the page at you. Take those verses, put them on sticky notes, put them on index cards, and just put them up everywhere. You know, put them on your mirror, put them on your computer at work, put them in your car. Of course, don't read it while you drive it. You know what I mean? But where you look at those every single day, and don't overwhelm yourself with like 20 of them. Find one. And then, you know, you get that one. Before you know it, you've memorized it. Then find you another one. And then pick it. And once you've picked out kind of the, 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 the highlights of, of, of that book of the Bible, go to another book of the Bible and read through it one. Because I found the more I read through it, it finally starts speaking to me. I can tell you, we went through uh, Acts and Romans and James. That helped me so much to take that those 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 books of the Bible. And we're going to do that some more and just lay in there and just only take it a week at a time, a chapter at a time. And so that's the way that you take Scripture because you need to have that Scripture. So when you're in that moment and you think and you're and you're about to you're about to compromise, you just start using that Scripture, and that Scripture is powerful. So if if we want to be a man who's going to finish, we will be a man who stays in Scripture. We, we, will, we, will, we will meditate on Scripture, and we'll get to the point that we can memorize and know Scripture. And, but that takes a game plan, but it doesn't have to be a game plan that requires an incredible amount of time just sitting, studying for hours on end. A lot of men, now women who are listening, some of y'all may be able to do this. My wife can do this much better than I can. That's just not how I operate, and it's not how I learn. And then another great word is to take Scripture and have it in your automobile and your Bluetooth and be listening to it. I love that Bible app where you can actually take Scripture and, and that cool guy with the English voice reads it to you. And, uh, and that's always good too. But what I'm saying is take little chunks of it so that you can take it and consume it and memorize it. And once you've done that, then you go get some more. Does that make sense to you? And so, and, and so that game plan will work. So the next thing he said is the next thing we need to do is stay close. And what he says to stay close to is to stay close to a friend. Stay close to a friend. Now, I know that men have a difficult time 
on, on friendships, and we love to get out on the island, and when we get out on the island, that's when we get killed. That's just the way we are, and it, but it's a flaw, and, and it needs to be corrected. And, uh, I mean, I can tell you, the first year that we were doing this Bible study, and you know I love all y'all, but I started having men meeting with me individually telling me they had no friends. And, and I said, you realize we're all in the same Bible study. Why don't y'all make friends with each other? They were sitting in a room full of men taking me off to a luncheon to tell me they don't, they'd like for me to help them find some friends. And I said, well, all of y'all are meeting with me. Why don't y'all talk to each other? We're all in the same Bible study every single week. Become friends, okay? Because first of all, you have something in common. You're studying the Bible together. It don't get any better than that. And, of course, I've made some good friendships out of here, and I hope you will too. But he says, stay close to a friend that can't be conned by you. Now, I know this guy. I know this guy. And you can see it a mile away, and I hope you're not one of them. And that's the guy that constantly keeps himself in circles where he's the most mature believer in the room. So he can always be the big deal. And he's got a bunch of people that he knows that he can con because they think he's such a big deal. And he knows a little more than they do, but we shouldn't have that. We should always have in our circle somebody you can't con, somebody that'll call you out and you can't fool them and try to, you, you can't manipulate them because they're, they're, they're a true friend, meaning God's put them there so that they can be there to point you in the right direction, to give you some sort of direction. If you've got people, if all you've got in your circle of friends are people that don't know as much about Scripture and, don't, and are not as far along in their walk as you are, you've got to change your circle of friends. Certainly keep them, but you've got to add some people that can teach you. And you've got to add some people that you can't con. You know, I, I can't con my wife, but I also have male friends I can't con either. And they're brutal, and I love them for it. And, and, if, if, they, if, they, and if they bring something to my attention, I need to address it. And the, but you also need... Even though it's somebody that you can't con, you also need the type of friends in your life that also still love you even when you screw up. you got, you got to have those kind of friends. Even when you mess up, they still love you. And they may love you enough to tell you the truth, and then they may love you enough to, to hold you accountable. He says, but the, the, when it comes to accountability, you need to think about this because these people are getting harder and harder to find. Hear me on this. You must be in a friendship with a person that will not violate your confidence. You ever made that mistake? Thought you could tell somebody something, and you said, it's just between us, and before you knew it, they told uh, about five other people that what they were saying was just between them and that person. And you're wondering, how did we end up with 10 people that knew this? I'll tell you how. One person goes to one other person and says, now look, so-and-so told me something, and it's just between me and him, and now it's just going to be between me and you but i got to tell somebody else. And then that person goes to another person and says, now look, this is just between me and you and me and so-and-so, and then it was between him and him. And, I, but, but I, and before you know it, what you wanted to work out in confidence has now become known by tons of people and a lot of people who are not helpful for you. All they want to do is gossip about you or they want to tell people to pray for you so they can tell them what you're doing <laughs> or what you may be struggling with in, at your work or with your wife or, or whatever or your children. You know, so be sure if you have friends, people have to, there's a high level of accountability we all need, but these people, people can't just be somebody who's always knocking you down and always challenge you. They also have to be people who will pick you up 
And they also got to be people that if you say this is in confidence, it is. Now I'm going to go and prepare you. You won't find many of those. A lot of y'all have acquaintances y'all think are friends. There's a difference. There's strangers, there's acquaintances, and then there's friends. And I'm going to be honest with you, a man really can't be friends, true friends, to more than about three people. Now you have a lot of acquaintances, and acquaintances certainly can be functional. But there's, there can only be really a handful of people that you can really devote time to that they will become a person that you would trust with your life and you would trust with your marriage and you would trust with confidence the things that you're struggling with. There's not many of those, so don't take that lightly. But you got to have them. you got to have them. He said, um, he, he said if you become isolated, and this is so true, we see this so much, if you refuse to do this, and you become isolated. And believe it or not, as, as gregarious as, as Burgesses can be, the males in the Burgess family tend to be men who become isolated. We do. It's in our genetics. It's in our DNA. I guess there's a lot of men. We really, sadly, struggle with thinking that we don't really need anybody. You know. And finally, I had friends that broke that down and said, hey, man, you, you, got, you got to let this go. When's the last time that you said you needed something from us? When's the last time you said I need to talk to you about something? And I said, well, I, you know, I only, I only do that for the big stuff. So that's a mistake. And if you allow me to drift off into isolation, I will. And so I've got, I've, I've got men in my life that won't allow that to happen. Because guess what happens when we get in isolation? We begin to act like we're following Jesus instead of really following Jesus. How many of you know how to act like you follow Jesus? I can do that as long as you don't get you don't spend much time with me. You know, if you can just if I can if you can just see me in little nuggets, man, you'll you'll think I am rolling. But but if all of a sudden we see each other enough, sooner or later I'm gonna say something or do something that you're gonna go, hey, where'd that where'd that come from? And you're like, uh oh, something's got out. And now now you revealed yourself because you can't help it because sooner or later who we really are rises to the top, right? But not if I don't have to see you a lot. Not if I don't have to see you a lot. And uh, so that's the reason why that this is important. He, he says, uh, doc, look what Dr. James Houston said on, on page 59. I thought this was awesome, talking about isolation. He says, sin always tends to make us blind to our own faults. That's part of sin. Think about that. You ever try to deal with somebody to see something in their life, and they just can't see it? And have you ever been the person who couldn't see it? I've been that guy too. Sin always tends to make us blind to our own faults. We need a friend to stop us from deceiving ourselves that what we're doing is not that bad. We need a friend to help us overcome our low self-image, inflate, inflated self-importance, selfish pride, our deceitful nature, and our dangerous fantasies, and so much else. He said, so here's a couple of verses about that. Look at Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Write this down if you don't have it. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this is important. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Certainly our wives need to be our best friend. Certainly. And, and, and if, you're not, if you've never revealed your heart to your wife, because a man who revealed his heart completely to his wife will establish the greatest friend of all time. And the one thing that I love the most about my wife is that she doesn't allow me 
to deceive myself. She's not afraid to say, you may see it this way, but here's what everybody else is seeing. You know, I, saw, I saw that one time uh, talking about a, a very successful person. And people thought the person was kind of a jerk. And he told me, he said, I went to my wife and I said, hey, people don't really see me that way, do they? And you know what she said? Yes. If you don't know you the way I do, you come across as a jerk. Just so you know. So these people are, that are reporting back this to you, that is how people see you. See, that's the kind of stuff that we need in our lives from all of our friends, but we definitely need it. Don't be so arrogant and prideful that you're afraid to completely open up yourself to your wife. Men tend to, to close ourselves off, and sadly, even to our wives. So when we're talking about staying close to a friend, don't forget that, uh, that one of the things that, that is the most important is to be sure if you are married that your wife is your friend. And I love the Muhammad Ali Superman thing. That is so funny. He said, because a lot of times we're delusional about how powerful and strong we really are about the foes that are out in front of us, including sin. And he tells a story about the first-class stewardess, flight attendant, and Muhammad Ali was in first class, and she came by and she said, please buckle your seatbelt. To which Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> so, so we have to kind of, you know, get 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 a gut check um, of 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 the the you know the limits that we truly have. I love this line. Centuries ago, this was pointed out uh, by, by by one of the great men of our faith. He said this. He said, um, "Friendship doubles our joy and divides our grief." Isn't that great? So, if you have true friends. Friendship, because when you're joyful, isn't it wonderful to have friends to share it with? So it, 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 it doubles our joy. But then when things are really, really bad, it'll also divide that grief, where it's not so hard to bear either. If you've ever gone through tough times and you've got a friend that'll go through it with you, the grief is still there, but it lessens the blow. And then Farrar goes on to talk about, and we won't spend a lot of time there, but I think it would help some of you. Uh, especially people listening, and I have friends that have been through this, and that's people who don't understand that even though you're a follower of Christ, depression can come. Men throughout the Bible struggle with Jeremiah with depression at times. And Steve Farrar says, look, I got caught up in depression that I couldn't even put my finger on. It went on for two and a half years. And I, I got to talk to him about that. He told me that before I'd read this. And he talks about that those friends that God put in his life and his brothers, you know, his not just brothers in Christ, but his actual brothers and other friends, that they were there. And they would be there to help walk him through those two and a half years of darkness where he found himself in depression. So I don't want you to think that if you're going through depression that you're afraid to tell somebody because you think it means you're not really saved or you're not a man of God. And how in the world have I found myself in this depression? I mean, I, you know, my wife and I have talked about it. You know, when we went through the grief of our youngest son, you know, sometimes... And, and she struggled with it, and, and I struggled with it to a degree. You'd find yourself not, not even being consumed by it. You could feel depression, though, right up against you. You could feel it kind of around you. And, and, and so this does happen even to the follower of Jesus. So have those kind of friends and the relationship in your marriage. Sherry and I talked about this where it just seemed to work out. You know, people who say that marriage is 50-50 are idiots. It is never 50-50. Some days it's 90-10. Some days it's 70-30. 
Some days it's 40-60. Rarely ever is it 50-50. Somebody usually has to carry the load more than the other one on any given day at any given time that you're going through. And I, and I remember going through this, my wife and I, it would just, it would literally go back and forth. Whenever she was at a point where she thought she was in despair, I would come in and that wouldn't be a day of despair for me. And I would pick her back up with scripture and all this. And then when I'd go through a time of despair, she'd be in, strong in the, in the word. She'd come in and lift me back up. And uh, so marriage is not 50-50. It is whatever the spouse needs to do for the other spouse at any given time. And sometimes you carry the load for your best friend in the world, and that's your spouse. And other times you carry the load for your friends. And you know what? They'll carry the load for you. And if, and if you don't have that within the church, that's a mistake. And it, how, how about Samuel Johnson said, if a man does not make new acquaintances as he advances through life, he will soon find himself alone. A man must keep his friendships. And how about this? And it says, and he must keep them, I like this, in constant repair. Just like we should never stop dating our wives, never stop repairing your friendships. You got to work on them. You got to spend time on them. You know, if not, they'll fade away. And he said, a man who's not constantly doing that will end up alone. And I've seen that in older men, and men, and it's really sad uh, when you see that. So we talked about the wife, so we've already covered that. And I love what he said again. He said, a woman who is allowed to see inside her husband's heart is a woman who will become a friend for life. And I have one of those, and I'm thankful, and I hope you do too. And if you're a single guy, I pray that's what God provides for you. So speaking of her, the next thing he says is a man who's, who's not going to fail and who's going to finish will also stay away from other women. Now, we talked about this a lot in the last chapter, so I'm not going to spend as much time on it because we've covered it. But I, I want to I add this to it, though. He said staying away from other women does not mean that we become rude, standoffish, uh, that we don't develop a reputation, please, we shouldn't for being discourteous, disrespectful, cold, abrupt, but we are to keep an appropriate distance in our relationship with other women. And I was completely shocked, and I'm shocked by very few things. I was shocked when I, he, he did the survey they did among men in the church and the way they felt about uh, intimacy within marriage as opposed to other people and, and so it says what they did with the survey. He said, um, you know, a recent uh, controlled study of nearly 3,500 men and women provided some insight into thinking of a number of conservative Christian men. The findings were shockingly eye-opening. Of course, he tells the story, sadly, that I've heard before, where they had the convention with all the youth pastors that came and stayed in the hotel, and uh, the person at the front desk said that they had broken a record for how many people were watching porn at night in their rooms. Now, these were, these were youth pastors, which I, that would make us feel fantastic. But he said, researchers divided respondents into three categories of attitudes towards sex, traditional, relational, and recreational. Their traditional group said that religious belief always guides their sexual behavior, and their premarital, extramarital, and homosexual sex is wrong. So single guys, when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, I'm talking about you being sexually pure, for your wife to come or the single life that God may call you to. The rest of us, are, we're talking about adultery. The relational group believes sex should be a part of a loving relationship but not necessarily be restricted to marriage. The final group, the recreational proponents, believe sex should be enjoyed for its own sake 
and didn't necessarily have anything to do with love. Here comes the bombshell. Only 50.5% of conservative Protestants fall, fell into the traditional category. Half fell into the recreational or the relational. Only half said that their religious, religious convictions dictated their sexual behavior, and that would be no premarital sex, no extramarital sex, uh, and, of course, uh, homosexuality. That They did not consider those things to be abruptly wrong. 50%. That means half of evangelical Christians believe that sex does not necessarily have to be restricted to marriage. Now, guys, <laughs> I think that's one of those situations where just because somebody claims to be a Christian does not necessarily mean they are. And, uh, and he said, I went on to, Farrar says, I went on to think that in the church that I believe with men who don't finish strong that sexual immorality is the number one battle that destroys the most men. And he, he was talking to a young pastor about this, and he said, I think sexual temptation is the number one issue in the lives of most men, and I think it's primarily the way the enemy picks off Christian men. This young pastor said, do you really believe it's that serious a problem? He said, yes, I do. I think it's epidemic. I got the distinct impression that he found that hard to believe. Six months later, a prominent married woman in that church turned up pregnant by the man who asked me the question. And it was not his wife. It was the other guy's wife. So the bottom line is this. And, and there was one thing he put out. He said, if you can establish, again, trying to, trying to be you know, proactive when it comes to this, he said, um, this one guy, Dr. Arch Hart, said this, Early in our marriage, I discovered what sort of person was my price. A woman with a particular appearance and personality. My wife could see it on my face when I was around someone like this. My wife has helped me to be honest to say that's a person who, for me, is so attractive, I can't help myself, and then to take steps to avoid any problem. Farrar goes on to tell his, his wife that he had a woman that he was counseling, that nothing happened at all. He sincerely thought that she was there for help. She wasn't wanting anything else. He wasn't either, he said, but sadly, she fit that category. She was the type of woman that I'm crazily attracted to. And he said, I went and handed her off to my wife for counseling. And he said, I discovered at that point that I may meet with a woman with my door open and with my secretary can see to establish what the problem is. But at that point, I hand her off to another woman. I'm not going to be in counseling. He said, I believe that every single man has a price. And what you need to do is be sure you don't put yourself in a position where the adversary can walk up with that situation that you know you can't handle. To say that you can, that you can live your life without making an effort to stay away from a safe distance from women who are not your, your wife or for the single guys that you're not considering to be a wife, if you really think you don't need to do that, you're as good as dead. Every man is capable of of committing adultery in his heart through porn or another woman, and every man in here and every man listening has the type of woman that Satan can use to get us, and that's why we got to stay away from him. And, and that's, that's exactly what he's talking about. And, and if you ever are in a situation where you're counseling someone who needs help or anything like that, women always tend, it's the way they're made, to be drawn to that situation. You need to allow women to be counseled by other women. There's nothing wrong with you finding out something and then let your wife know about it and see if she can help her or maybe another woman in the church. But I will tell you, 
us going off and spending time with another woman, especially when there's trouble in their life, is a huge mistake. And it has caused issues over and over and over again. Don't do it. And the man who decides not to do it is a man who will finish strong. The next thing is to stay alert to the tactics of the enemy. You know, this one was not in here, but, um, uh, but, but I, I actually you know, saw this on my own, and that's 1 Peter 5, 8. And, and this is something that is always, um, I've always looked at this verse in, in a way because I love wildlife documentaries. And this is when Peter says for us to be, he says to be self-controlled and alert. And he's talking about being alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And if you want to write that down, that's 1 Peter 5, 8. So first of all, we give an image of a lion, but we get an image of a lion that's roaring. Now, I want you to think about this. If you know anything about animal documentaries, first of all, a lion roars to do what? To let everybody know that's his territory. They say you can hear it for up to three to five miles of a male lion roaring. So first of all, that's Satan saying, this is a fallen creation. This is my territory you're in. So we're getting a warning. So, so you, sometimes you think about this, that, that Satan is deceptive and he sneaks up on you and gets you. No, Peter says he's like a roaring lion. You know when you're in his territory. What are we doing there? That's why he says be self-controlled and alert because when you step into that roaring lion's territory, he's going to devour you. Stay out of his territory. Be alert. Know where you are. Know what position you're putting yourself in. It says this, David Roper says this, Satan is a gentleman, a charming fellow with immense power. He's subtle and thousands of years of experience. His chief aim, of course, is to endure the God against whom he once rebelled. To accomplish this, Satan misrepresents the Creator to his creatures, always attempting to frustrate his good purposes for them and hopefully in the process break the heart of God. Satan promises us the world, but as Milton said, all is false and hollow, though his tongue drops manna and makes the worse appear a better reason. And that's good. What a great line. Satan makes the worse appear a better reason. Something that is horrible, Satan convinces you, is better than, than under the authority of Christ. He always makes the worse seem better. Every guy who has ever been conned by the enemy has fallen for that line of reasoning. It really won't hurt anyone to sleep with this woman. Getting this divorce really won't hurt my kids. Kids are resilient. Everybody fudges somewhere on their taxes. It's no big deal. That's making the worse appear to be a better reason. And falling for it will keep you from finishing strong. We are in a battle, and it takes us to listen to the wise words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. Not to realize that you're in a conflict means only one thing. And it is that you are so hopelessly defeated and so knocked out as it was were that you didn't even know it. You are unconscious. It means that you are completely defeated by the devil. Anyone who's not aware of a fight and in a conflict in a spiritual sense is in a drugged and hazardous condition. If you don't know you're in a fight, you're already beat. Why do you think Paul says he fought the good fight? Because it is one. I've run the race because it is one. But he used the word fight. How many of you can relate that it is a fight? Well, it, it, Now, those of you who don't know we're in a fight, you're already beat. And how about this? I love this one. Josiah Gilbert Holland, he said, this is not the time to be on sedatives. It's time to stay alert. Too many men have started well and have failed to finish strong. 
history is strong with the wreckage of their lives. Give us men a time like this demands. Strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom, whom the lust of office does not kill. Men who the spoils of office cannot buy. Men who possesses opinions and a will. Men who love honor. Men who will not lie. He said, make sure you stay upon Jehovah. Make sure you stay in the scriptures. Make sure you stay close to a friend. Make sure you stay away from other women. And make sure you stay alert to the tactics of the enemy. That's how we anticipate and avoid those ambushes. And he said, the best way to start is to take scripture and put it between your cheek and your gum. So let's take these things and and let's apply these tactics to our lives. See, finishing strong is not unattainable, but it's not just going to happen. We have to live our lives that we say the most important thing in my life is that I will not betray Jesus. Not to earn you salvation. He does all that. But as a result of salvation. And see, then if we just start that step one, if I won't betray Jesus, I won't betray my wife whether I'm already married or a single guy who, who my wife, who I'm going to marry. If I won't betray Jesus, I won't betray my kids. If I won't betray Jesus, I won't betray my friends. If I won't betray Jesus, I won't betray my boss. If I won't betray Jesus, I can be trusted in every situation. It's just all about devotion to Jesus and loving him more than we love sin. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you obey my commands. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this today. Thank you for these men, and thank you for people listening all around the country and around the world. I pray, Lord, right now that you'll just touch the heart with whatever part of this today that that each individual person needed to hear. I thank you for how it has convicted me, and I thank you, Lord, how it has also encouraged me and challenged me to take this game plan you've laid out, not to earn our salvation, but to protect our salvation. And and not to justify us, but to sanctify us so that we do not fail and we finish completely devoted to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great week.